I want to invite you to find Mark chapter 7 in your Bible as the kids head out. Mark chapter 7. And as you're finding Mark chapter 7, I want you to think about a question. What would be the most unexpected thing that could take place during this worship service? What would be the most unexpected thing someone could do, like one of you, could do during this worship service? Like short of sinful, like not sinful stuff, but what would just be the most unexpected thing someone might do during our time together while we're worshiping? Something, uh, not anything necessarily bad, but just something that's out of step with what we normally do. I think about when Terry is playing the, the time where we're preparing for worship and she's playing the piano. If someone uh, came forward and knelt at the prayer bench and just began praying, like try to picture that, you might be like, what are they doing? This isn't the time that we go and pray at the prayer bench. Or what if um, you came and you're about to come and sit down in your seat, in your pew, where, you know, there's the perfect indention worn in over time for your rear end because that's your pew and it fits you and you, you go to sit down and what? Kara Brock's sitting there. She's supposed to sit here. She's not supposed to sit over there. What are you doing? Or if when Jan begins to play the prelude, if um, Randy Linker busts out a, uh, what is that called? A tambourine. And he's brought a tambourine. He's just playing that along with Jan while she plays the prelude. I could see it happening. And just think, like, what would you think if that was going on? You'd be like, does Randy, you'd be nudging your wife, does Randy have a tambourine? What's he doing? Or if um, when Meredith comes up to lead the music, she says, today we're going to do something different. And uh, we're going to worship in a reggae style this morning. Or if Matt, when he came up to lead worship, he had like a boombox on his shoulder and he said, we're going to do hip hop worship this morning. I can envision few things funnier than Matt Larkin with the boombox leading us in hip hop worship. <laughs> or if people became way more verbal during my sermon and, and people that you never heard speak up during a sermon started to say, amen. Or if people came in wearing weird clothes, like somebody just came in their pajamas, no shoes on. Just came in their pajamas and sat down to worship. Or, or somebody else came in in like a full tuxedo with a cummerbund and everything. Or if some children while I'm preaching came and sat Indian style right here up on the stage. Like, what are they doing? We sit in pews. We, we worship in a traditional hymn, maybe some um, more modern contemporary music style. Not reggae, not hip hop. We listen to Jan play the prelude. Randy, put your tambourine up. Or what if someone busted out a laptop and was taking notes on their laptop during my sermon? Like you would kind of look around and go, what are they doing? This is a no technology zone when we're in here. We don't take notes on laptops. Maybe a tablet. Maybe, but not a laptop. See, we have all these traditions that we develop. Bam, big idea right there. We have all these traditions that we develop. You know, we sit, we sit when Terry plays the prepare for worship and when Jan plays the prelude. And we don't participate in that part of the service. We, we receive it and use that time to reflect and prepare our hearts for worship. 
That's what we do. That's our tradition. It would be weird if someone broke from that and did something different. Uh, we, we don't bring our own instruments from home and join in from our pews. That would be strange. It's just not our tradition. We don't do that. Um, we, uh, we don't move around. Like if somebody started dancing in the aisles during worship, during the music part, that's just not our tradition. We don't do that. Um, you know, we're, we're basically quiet during the sermon. We, we basically dress in, in, you know, not, maybe not our very best clothes, but we dress to be presentable on Sunday mornings. You know, we don't wear our pajamas, but we also don't wear tuxedos. It's not black tie. Our tradition is sort of middle of the road, look decent, you know. Uh, we sit in the pews. We don't sit Indian style up here, okay? We don't bring laptops, these are just sort of our traditions. This develops. And, and in our church, we, we sing the doxology every Sunday. And that's a tradition. Now, are these traditions good or bad? Are traditions in general good or bad? Well, neither. Neither. Traditions are neutral. They can be good or they can be bad. Okay, traditions in themselves are, are, are neutral. It depends on why you're doing it. If you remember why you're doing it and what it's accomplishing. Traditions are, in the sense that we're going to look at in Mark chapter 7, traditions are good. Christian traditions, uh, Christian religious traditions are good if they preserve God's commandments in our lives. Now, traditions are bad if they replace God's commandments in our lives. So my big idea, I'm taking a communications class and I'm learning that people don't want a ton of big ideas. They want a big idea. So I don't know how to communicate it any more clearly. We need to be aware. We, we have to be careful of leaving God's commands and holding to man's traditions. I think that's the big warning from this passage we're going to read. We have to beware of leaving God's commands Letting go of God's commands to hang on to man's traditions. Because traditions can be good so long as they preserve God's commands in our lives, but they can be bad if they replace God's commands in our lives. So we're going to read a story today in Mark chapter 7. We're moving along in Mark, beginning at verse 1, of people who had left God's commands to hold on to man's traditions. Follow along with me either on the screen or in your Bible. We'll read this story together. Starting at Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of, some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, remember, the Pharisees and scribes, these were the religious elite these people knew the Bible, the scriptures for them, which would have been uh, mainly the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, the, the Pentateuch. Okay, they come to Jesus and they see that Jesus' disciples are doing something that's weird. You know, they were eating with unwashed hands. Now, this was more than just hygiene. You know, if my kids come to the dinner table and we, we hold hands when we pray, um, and if I, I hold Lillian's hand in particular, I can tell if she's washed that hand in the last, really in the last 15 minutes. Somehow she's so tactile, she'll just grab stuff and 
And we'll say, go wash your hands. That's a hygiene issue, not a uh, religious ceremonial cleansing issue. This was a religious ceremonial cleansing issue. Religious Jews washed their hands before eating. In verse 3, it explains this. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. There was a specific way that you would go about it, like how you would pour the water, and it was very specific. Uh, you would like use the fist to like scrub, and there's a way that you do it. Why aren't they doing it? They wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes said to him, Jesus, they said to Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Okay, so they're in kind of a similar situation as what I laid out at the beginning of the service. They're here. Jesus is supposedly this rising leader, Jewish leader, and they're seeing his followers. They're not doing the stuff that we do. And so they ask Jesus, they go to him and they say, why aren't they washing their hands? That's what we Jewish people do. Now listen to Jesus' response in verse 6. So going back to our scenario. So if Randy started playing the tambourines, that's my favorite one of those things I said. If Randy started playing a tambourine and you came up to me like, you know, I'm down there also singing and, and Ron tugs on my shirt and says, why is Randy playing a tambourine? Now, I would probably respond with, I don't know, he's Randy. Or, or, or I, might, I might respond with, um, I might respond with, you know, I don't know. It's unorthodox, but I think it's good. I think he's more involved in, in worship. I know it might make some distracted. You know, if it becomes a big distraction issue, we can think about that. But if it's not, what's wrong with it? You know, we'll worship. And that's, if it's genuine for him, you know, I, what I would not do is turn around and say, you hypocrite, how dare you ask me that? But look at verse 6. Jesus responds with real harshness. He responds really strongly to this question. So they ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Jesus said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. That is a tough response. Those are harsh words. Now, this is going to form the the bulk of what we meditate on this morning, but I do want to read in verse 9 and on. He gives an example of what he's talking about. He says in verse 9, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. So they came to him asking why his followers weren't washing their hands so that they could be ceremonially clean like all religious Jews normally would have. And he responds with a harsh rebuke and then another example of something that they do. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, 
honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, and you're thinking, what does Corban mean? Well, Holy Spirit was very kind to us. He put in parentheses what it means. That is given to God. So if a man tells his father and his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is given to God, is devoted to God. I've already set it aside to go to a more holy purpose than feeding you, dad, than taking care of you, mom. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. Many such things you do. So they come to him wondering why his disciples aren't doing the traditional thing. And he responds very harshly, calls them hypocrites, and points out to them something that they do that he doesn't like. What they do is they develop traditions on top of God's commands. Okay, that's, that's what they did. They had tons of, of little rules that they built on top of God's commands. So you have God's command here and they would just build rules on. And I really believe initially they had good reason for it. They just wanted to obey God's command. And so they, they added things to it to just insulate that command, just to make sure we don't break the command. And then over time, the command itself in their hearts just sort of withered and died. And, and it was just this hollow orb of man's traditions disconnected from God's command that originally um, initiated all those rules. And so the example he gives is, you know that God wants you to honor your father and your mother. You know that he wants this. And he's pres- presuming that they agree that this entails even financial support of them as in their old age, even helping them materially in their old age. Yet, you have built onto this other command so so heavily that that people can say to their mom and dad, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to take care of you because I'm obeying these rules. I'm setting aside my money to be for the Lord. Now, there's a lot of cultural um, baggage to that phrase, Corbin, but it became known as a way that Jewish people would get out of responsibilities financially. They would be like, well, you know, I'd pay you back that debt, but my money's de- devoted to the Lord. Just like... In this example, they were saying to their mom and dad, I would help you, but my money's devoted to the Lord. Jesus clearly does not like this. He does not like when we add on to God's commands our own rules and then treat those rules as more important than God's commands. And we do it all the time. We do it all the time. Call it legalism. Jesus calls it hypocrisy. You know, we pick and choose our favorites of these rules, whichever we can live up to the easiest often, and, and often whatever the other person has the hardest time with, those are the ones that are most important to us. I heard a sermon given by a guy who came from a really, really conservative Bible college. I can't even remember which one it was, but it's one that's well known for being ultra conservative to the point where they have very strict rules for conduct for the people on their campus. Very strict rules. And you will get kicked out of that school for breaking these rules. And the joke that everybody knows about that school is that they outlawed premarital sex 
because they were afraid it might lead to dancing. See, in their minds, they had, they had gotten so serious about their rules, about don't play cards, don't dance, that they had forgotten God's commands altogether. And in their hearts, this is what's important. These traditions are what's important. We've got to be careful about doing this because that's what's dangerous for us. That's a, that's a trick that Satan can use for us. You know, our enemy is very crafty. I've told you before, he's not going to come through the door with a pitchfork and the, the tail that you see in cartoons and the horns. He's crafty. And if he can get us to let go and leave God's commands and hang on to our traditions, we can still come to church. We can still call ourselves Christians. We can still do nice stuff. He's won. He's won. He's disconnected us from God. So I just want to consider two things based on this. And we're going to go back to that main, I think this is the main meat of the passage. How do we know if this is us? Uh, Do you think those Pharisees and scribes walked into that conversation having any idea it was going to go like this? You know, they probably thought, you know, we're the experts in the law. Jesus is going to be grateful that we pointed this out. He must not realize his disciples are doing this. So they hitched up their pants and they marched over to Jesus and they point this out. And Jesus just punches them in the face with scripture. So if they didn't know that they were hypocrites, they surely knew their Bibles even better than we do. How are we going to know if we're hypocrites? Nobody thinks they're a hypocrite. Well, I think there's really one key characteristic that this passage points out to us. Let's read this again. It starts in verse 6. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, important key word, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. I think the key characteristic that can tip us off if we're being hypocrites is acting. It's acting. That Greek word translated hypocrite. Originally, it was an acting term. It means literally one who answers, but the idea is it's someone on stage who is playing a part. They're on stage pretending that's their role. And it became known as we use it today as someone who acts. And for these Pharisees and scribes, Jesus saw straight through them and saw that for them, all these washings, washings of hands and dishes and cups and couches, those were not genuine expressions of a desire to honor God. All those washings were just props on the stage of their self-righteousness. And it goes on to say in verse 6, quoting from Isaiah, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So these seemingly righteous Jews were honoring God with their lips, with their words, with their talk, but their hearts, their true selves, were very far from God. See, the fact of the matter is, and maybe this is the most important principle underneath my big idea, 
God wants you. God wants you. He doesn't want your your act. He, he doesn't want your religious acts. He doesn't want your church attendance. He doesn't want your daily quiet times. He wants you. And only when your church attendance and your daily quiet times serve to give God you are those traditions good. But if those traditions replace you giving God you, they are bad. And it's such a glorious truth. He wants you. And this isn't so, this isn't some bizarre concept. This isn't something different from our normal experience in life. You know, we've had a few newlyweds in our church. We've got some about to be newlyweds in our church. Now, if uh, Andrew and Lauren, y'all get married, it occurs to Andrew that Lauren likes to receive flowers. Okay, so he decides, I'm going to set a reminder on my phone. Once a week, every Friday, I'm going to get her flowers. Every Friday, flowers. Friday, flowers. Friday, flowers. Friday, flowers. Now that's going to be really nice. You should probably do that. (laughs) I don't, but maybe you should. (laughs) How meaningful is that going to be if while he's Friday, flowers, every week, his heart is far from her? How much are those flowers going to mean after a little while? If over the dinner table, doesn't have anything to say, doesn't have any curiosity about her, doesn't have any desire to be with her, doesn't really enjoy this whole marriage thing, he's just Friday, flowers, Friday, flowers. Not only does it become meaningless or vain, like this passage says, it becomes hurtful. I have somebody in my family who was receiving a lot of guilt trips from his aging mother for not calling her often enough. I know none of you aging moms have ever done that to your children. And so he set a reminder on his phone every eight days to call her. Every eight days. He thought, you know, if it's every week, she's going to start to catch on that I'm doing this in a robotic fashion. But if it's every eight days, it'll be, you know, it'll be at a week and they'll start, mom will start to think, oh, I haven't heard from this person in a little while, and then, lo and behold, the call. Now, is that good or bad? Well, it's neither. It's neutral. Now, I think it's good if that just functions to, in all the busyness of life, to remind him, I love my mom, and I want to have remain connected to her. So I'm going to call her. I will do it every eight days. Then it's good. It's a good tradition that he's developing. Now, if... That tradition replaces genuine love and concern for his mother, and it's just, I'm doing the tradition, I'm doing the tradition. Then it's not good. Then it's bad. You know, this is why Jesus was so hard on the Pharisees and scribes. They didn't love God, they weren't giving themselves to God, they were just doing this practice. Every meal, wash my hands, wash my couch, wash my plates. God wants us. This hypocrisy, this acting, this honoring God with our lips, but 
letting our hearts remain far from him, this is what makes worship vain or empty. That word vain can mean empty, pointless. You know, when one of my kids wrongs the other, and I say, you need to go apologize to your sister, you need to go apologize to your brother, and they walk into the room and they say, sorry, and go on about their business. You know, they've done it with their lips, but it's meaningless, it's empty. Now, so when we come in here and we sing these songs in the same heart set, you know, as my children just saying, sorry, do you think God's sitting up in heaven like then, oh man, this is great, warming his hands and the, the warmth of our love for him? No, he knows what we're doing. He knows. We've got to be careful not to leave God's commands and hold to man's traditions. What are God's commands anyway? What are the big ones? When Jesus was asked, what are the, what's the most important command? Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. And the second one's like it. It's similar to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the big two. Everything else hinges on these two. If you will get these right, you'll get it all right. As somebody said, it might have been Martin Luther. He said, love God and do what you want. Love God and do what you want. Because if you genuinely love God, what you want is going to come into line with what God wants. Now, that's a hard command. That's too hard. That's too difficult. And perhaps that's why we leave God's commandments and hold to the traditions of man. Because we can do the traditions of man. We can, we can get used to the flow of a, of a worship service and, and get in line with that. We can sing some songs. Even those of you who are the most uncomfortable singing out loud. And I'm probably pretty close to you in, in terms of discomfort singing out loud. You can still, you can do it. A whole lot easier than you can make yourself love God with your entirety and love your pain-in-the-neck neighbor like you love yourself. That's impossible stuff. When we leave God's commands and hold to the tradition of man, we take the easy way out. We take the easy way out and we miss the entirety of what Jesus Christ has done for us. See, what Jesus did on the cross, dying for your sins, what all did that accomplish? Why did he do that? Did he do it so that you could begin a new regimen of of human disciplines and traditions? No, he did it because in believing in Jesus Christ, giving your life to Jesus Christ, receiving that Grace of mercy of his death for your sins on the cross, putting your, your whole self in faith in his hands as your Lord, living Lord now that he is raised from the dead. In that transaction, the Bible teaches that we become new creatures, new creations. It teaches that our stony old heart is ripped out and a new, soft, changeable living heart is put in. See, the Christian message is in Jesus Christ, you can be transformed and your heart can be different. 
It's not that your, your activities can be transformed and your, your traditions, what you do, that stuff can be different. So what do we do if we think, oh no, this is me. I am acting. I don't want to be here right now. If I was honest, I wouldn't want to be sitting here right now. Panthers game is going to start at some point. It's 12.07. I didn't even know that. I don't want to be here. If I did what was honest to me right now, I'd walk out of here. I would have walked out of here seven minutes ago. When we're singing, I don't care about this stuff. Singing about God and how glorious he is. My heart's not moved by that. That doesn't matter to me. I know it should. I know it should mean something to me. I know I should want to be here. But if I'm honest, I don't. What do we do when that's us? What do we do when we realize that what I've been doing with my lips does not match what's going on in my heart? What do we do when we realize our worship has been vain? It was empty. You're thinking, I wish Matt had preached this before we sang those worship songs because now I'm thinking back, I don't even remember what the words were. But I know that I didn't mean it in my heart. Well, I'll tell you what we don't do because this passage doesn't tell us. I'll tell you what we don't do. We don't just act harder. We don't just pretend harder. That doesn't get us anywhere. We don't say, well, next Sunday, I'm really going to act like I care. When there's this mismatch between our, our lips and our hearts, what we're doing and what we're really believing, really feeling, really meaning. Okay, we, we don't have the power to make our hearts get in line with our practice. Like, we don't have that much power. Who does? God alone. Okay, but what we do have power, if we're going to close this gap and we can't bring our hearts to our lips, what can we do? We can bring our lips to our hearts. And we can just be honest. And we can just be honest with ourselves and we can be honest with God. We can be honest with each other. And we can go to God and we can say in just total honesty, I'm sorry, I've been hypocritical. I've wanted to do good. You know, I want to be a good Christian. I want to do the stuff Christians are supposed to do. Like, I want to be that guy or I want to be that gal, but when it comes down to it, I just don't feel like it. I would much rather watch Netflix than meditate on your word. I would much rather just go to bed than pray. I would much rather sleep in than have a quiet time. God, help me. Forgive me and help me. That's it. Because you know what? And this is really good news, although maybe it will be terrifying to you. He knows already. (laughs) He knows your thoughts and your feelings way better than you understand your thoughts and your feelings. If you come to him with that kind of honesty, he's not going to be like, what? You were my best guy. You were at church every Sunday. I can't believe this. No, he's going to go, finally. Oh, man, finally, come here. I love you so much. Of course I'll change your heart. That's all I've been wanting to do. I sent my son Jesus to die for you so we could talk like this, so we could be together like this. He already knows you, and he loves you enough to send his son to die for you while you're a sinner, while you're a rebel, while you don't want it. The good news of Jesus Christ is so good. So good. 
where in your life are you acting? Where are you pretending? Where is it in your life that your lips are not matching your heart? What aspects of your relationship with God are, if you're honest with yourself, empty and vain? You need to look these parts of your heart honestly, dead on, without justifying yourself. Okay, don't, don't justify yourself. Don't try to wriggle out of it. Don't try to say, well, okay, maybe a little bit, but not as bad as him. Jan's not sitting over there. She, that would be bad. And then go to God and talk to him about it. Don't, instead of going to God honestly, do not grow comfortable ignoring God's word, ignoring God's commands, and instead get all wrapped up in the traditions of man. Don't do that. You've got to be very careful not to leave God's command and hold the traditions of man. Because God wants our hearts. God wants you. Let's pray together. Father, please show us our hypocrisy. Please show us our hypocrisy and give us just the courage to just interact with you honestly about it. Please help us. We are so hypocritical. We are so uh, spiritually lazy and distracted. We confess to you that often we worship in an empty, vain way. Often we can become legalistic, cling to our rules more than your commands to love you and love people. So, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we just ask for your forgiveness and for your help. Please help us. Because we want to be close to you. And more than that, we want to want to be close to you. So please help us. Please fill up any aspect of our relationship with you or worship that is empty. Please fill that up with the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. And let us walk out of here honest and at peace without pretense, without acting, joyful, because we have you and you have us. In Jesus' name, amen.